This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. Where you, if you subscribe to the news feed, news Z feed at zupans.com, you're generally always going to get a special every week, something free. This week, uh, it happens to be a, a New York steak, buy one, get one free, uh, Harris Ranch, and they're delicious. I just got one myself last night. Um, I've also been enjoying some um, some St. Honoré pastries at Zupans. You may or may not know that they have them there. Lots of great pastries at Zupans. And also, um, I was at the Eat Oregon Now, which was a uh, collective Oregon artisan uh, market uh, for the holidays, and I had some delicious Puffworks peanut butter puffs. I don't know, Court, if you like Cheetos. I've always kind of been partial to Cheetos, but there isn't an ingredient in these little corn puffy peanut butter things that you've not heard of. So, oh, wow. Um, they're pretty cool. You can find some really nice things in the aisles of Zupans. And actually, right now, you can find Zalto wine glasses. Did I pronounce that right? I guess. Okay. These are hand-blown in Austria. Luxury line of stemware that's designed with the angles of the earth in mind. A perfect holiday gift. In fact, I do a lot of my holiday gift buying, Chris, at Zupans because they have such classy stuff there. Well, the cool thing is, if you're not sure what you want for someone, just walk in the aisles. They have. Go look at those wine glasses on, at Zupans.com. You'll see them there. But as you walk through, they... They procure some really beautiful things for kitchens um, and just the home. They're really nice. It's not all about food at Zupans. As a matter of fact, if you're not sure what to get somebody, a Zupans gift card is a great idea because Mm -hmm. it's not only for food, but they can go and get some nice dishes, plates, and, of course, great wines at Zupans. they got three locations you can go and visit. McAdam, Lake Grove, West Burnside, and of course, always, zoopans.com. It is time once again for Portland's Food Scene Podcast. It's Right at the Fork and a classic episode of Right at the Fork. We're going into the archives and pulling out something uh, that we felt like needed to be dusted off. In this case, an episode from two years ago when we spoke to Chris Onstad of Portland Syrup. This comes from December 14th, 2016. Uh, Chris Onstad, many of us remember him as the restaurant critic for the Portland Mercury. But in 2012... He left and started uh, making great tasting soda here in the Portland area. And in this interview, we actually kind of get into this new uh, world of cannabis. And uh, Chris shares his feelings about that. So uh, definitely a great Portland journey that we're going to dive into. It's episode 102. Chris Onstad of Portland Syrup right here on Right at the Fork. Right at the Fork is proud to be supported by Zupan's Markets. For over 40 years, unsurpassed quality from the best meats and wines to the freshest baked goods, flowers, and more, with a delicious emphasis on locally sourced items. The best of the Northwest Bounty can be found at your closest Zupans on West Burnside, McAdam, or Lake Grove, and at Zupans.com. Eat well, put taste first, love your food. 
by Ringside Steakhouse. Owned by the Peterson family for generations, Ringside Steakhouse has long been a landmark of the Portland landscape, featuring impeccable service that has set the standard for nearly 75 years. Enjoy the finest aged steaks, their world-famous onion rings, and even Ringside's legendary late-night happy hour. Whether it's a special occasion, a business dinner, or just a great night out, make a reservation at ringsidesteakhouse.com today. And by Portland Food Adventures, inviting you to listen to Right at the Fork, episode number 170 with Proud Mary Coffee's Nolan Hurdy. Then imagine yourself eating and sipping your way through Melbourne, Australia this April for nine incredible days of VIP treatment at Nolan's favorite places in Proud Mary's home city. It's all at portlandfoodadventures.com under the Trips tab. Contact Right at the Fork host Chris Angeles for more information and extra savings on these PFA food journeys. So, yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, I don't think I've seen you since um, some sort of food event when I was actually working um, in 2014. Is when I stopped doing the Mercury gig. Yeah, so you don't consider yourself working now? I did notice on your, in your bio, which, by the way, it's great to have a writer to do a website, right? Because it's really nicely written. And it's Thank fun you very to read. much. Yeah, that is my primary stock in trade. Um, I'm working in food journalism as uh, as writing the occasional piece for like Eater. I just had a big piece come out on Eater National. Um, it was a personal reflection piece, not active food journalism. Food journalism for me kind of wound down in it was February 2014, and that's when I started doing the uh, Portland Soda Works, which has become Portland Syrups in more earnest. Yeah. So it is. I was trying to figure that out. So it is the name of the company is now Portland Syrups. We're we're adapting it. We we wanted to start a soda company. Can I can I launch into the genesis of, of yeah? Please Portland do. Syrups? Okay. So basically, as you know, in 2012, I was I, I landed the gig as the Portland Mercury's food critic, restaurant reviewer, food editor, all hats. And um, I was I was fresh out of a divorce. I'd quit drinking and I'd go to these uh, you know higher end restaurants and I'd be like, what do you have that's non alcoholic? I was like milk, you know, uh, RC Cola. Come on, there's got to be, there's a market opportunity here to create uh, something that has qualities that can be appreciated, like a, like a cocktail with a nose, a mouthfeel, uh, opening up, um, a clean finish, those sorts of things. So I said, I'm going to create the, the Belgian beer of soft drinks. So I set out to start with a root beer, a root beer being, you know, all American, well-loved and you know, something I felt like I could brew with primitive ingredients without using laboratory extracts and things. Just to go back, can you yeah. identify the moment where you went from, hey, I'm missing this, I can't order a drink, to, hey, I'm, gonna, I'm going to do this? You know, there wasn't any one eureka moment. It was just, it was just something that I had in my head uh, as time wore on and my frustrations grew. You know, I'd go to even higher-end restaurants, and it wasn't even until later in my career that people had, like, a shrub or a drinking vinegar or something besides, like, fountain coke right so well they'd make virgin cocktails for you higher end places will but if, if you're a non-drinker sometimes uh, at first you feel like you're kind of wasting the bar's time any good bartender will tell you absolutely not i love the challenge of making a great drink that doesn't have liquor in it mm-hmm. um but i just uh I, I i thought that was reason enough to try to develop this product i was really big on hey, this, this product isn't just something for the market. It's part of my personal journey. It matters to me. I want people who have given up booze to have something to, to minimize how marginalized they feel when they go out to dinner. So, so it, it is, it, I like that about this product. I like that it is deeply personal. That tells me that I'm going to care about it for a long time. You know? and, and, yeah, you, how did you go about 
I, I saw the story with you and Dan. Right, my neighbor. The back and forth that it, it happens to be, you know, the serendip- serendipitous things in life. Your neighbor, right? Exactly. You had no idea. He had nothing to do with your food world. None at all. He's a, he's a golfer. He, his whole deal was he was spending several years doing the 10,000 hours of practice theory where he wanted to go from never having played golf to getting on the PGA Tour. That was the goal he'd set for himself. That's a tough one. It is a very tough one. <laughs> <laughs> We've both been sort of sidetracked from our primary career path. You know, I'm a cartoonist and a writer primarily. Uh, but we got this going, and as, as an exercise, as an idea, it's just so much fun to be entrepreneurial, especially in this city. And I don't know that we could have done it in any other city. What I always tell people is like, in Portland, we have such an amazing culture of cross-pollinating and sharing and being open with ideas and giving to each other so that ultimately we follow the natural selection model where great things develop, new, new branches develop. I come here from Silicon Valley. I moved here in 2009, which is a culture of NDA, watch your back, don't share. And so... Same with where I came from, too. I, I was just... What were you in? I was from Connecticut. Yeah, but, right. But there's no, there was no restaurant owner there that would tell you to go to the guy across the street. As a matter of fact, there were wars, practically. So when you get to Portland, and they're all saying, oh, yeah, you got to try this. you got to try Nancy's place. Yeah, and it's wonderful because that's good vibes. I like both of those restaurants now, the guy that recommended it and the new place. Mm -hmm. I, um, you know, my one of my feelings is Portland is a small enough town where uh, everybody is within one degree of working working with each other. Um, You don't burn your bridges in this town. You um, And Portland just has a, a kindness in its DNA. I see that in the way that people drive. It can be really frustrating. You know, people are always slamming on their brakes for jaywalkers or people who might be considering jaywalking, you know, and, <laughs> and, and assuming that everybody wants to wait behind them while they try to turn left against gridlock, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, just a, it's just a really kind city, and that, uh, that culture is still alive and well with all the vendors that I talk to. The, our company is, is 10 times the company that it would be thanks to um, just other brewers. It, we, we host uh, a company in our space that's a, another soda syrup brewer. And we learn tips and tricks. We learn science. We help each other out. We find leads. You know, it's, um, the, the culture of openness here has really done wonders for our business. And did you, did you feel it uh, as a critic? I, I, I know you could observe it. But did you feel that openness? Did, did you have a lot of camaraderie with fellow critics? Uh, fellow critics, actually, I tended to be as yeah. uh, invisible as possible. I didn't tend to rub shoulders with other writers here in town. Uh, there are some that I really respect. I had dinner with Karen Brooks a couple of times because um, I just wanted to get to know her because she's such an icon in this town, such a, such a meaningful position, and um, as, as old guard as it gets in Portland, I think. So, yeah, I think it's funny, though, that you point out with the critics, I always read other critics' reviews with sort of a, a critical eye, so to speak, as, uh, like, um, you know, there, there, there are contentious relationships in that little circle of people, but uh, by and large, I, I chose not to engage. Just like when I run my comics world, there are a million conversations I could go have on Facebook and on message boards and whatnot. And it, you could exhaust yourself for the rest of your life arguing with the internet. And so I chose just to like be in the restaurant world with my own voice and not get bogged down with um, 
petty online arguments or Twitter bickerings or things and, like that. And God knows you saw them. Whenever every review, especially with the Mercury, yeah, you would get you know a lot of people just vilifying you as a person. Oh, absolutely, yeah. But I had um, at that point ten years of experience being pilloried for my comics works. I was used to it, you know. And that was one of the things I said when I went into interview for the Mercury gig. I was like. I am absolutely used to getting shat upon and disrespected and 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 minimized. So my skin is thick. I know who I am. And I know what I'm saying. And you just went through a divorce too. I'd gone through a divorce. Too. <laughs> it was uh, it was a huge transitional period in my life, and it was really, you know, kind of like my reboot. You know, since then I've gotten back into doing the comic uh, full time. I've done this company. My art career is going really well. That's how I support myself before we're taking money from the company is I do fine arts. You know, like when Bill Watterson and Gary Larson retired from the far side, they would indulge themselves in the fine arts uh, aspect of their career and produce paintings and whatnot. And so I'm getting to do that now, which is really gratifying because after 15 years of doing the comic, I have a big enough worldwide fan base where I can, if I produce, I will, I can support myself. So do you, uh, someone asks you what you do, what's the first thing you say? <laughs> I always say, how much time do you have? Because, you know, bet between cartoonists, fine arts, and um, managing this soda company, which is still just two guys, uh, I, um, I have a lot of hats on, and it gets, it, it is, I'm a writer, too, and I'll, I say, if, well, now it's it's most useful for me to say I, I run a soda company. I run a, a beverage mixer company. We're still trying to find the right words for it. We started as a soda company to get back to where this all started. Mm -hmm. um, and we were going to do a ready-to-drink carbonated bottled soda. We learned that that's incredibly prohibitive cost-wise and logistically uh, for a brand new company to, to hit that mark. You need a, you need mid-five figures to low-six figures to start an enterprise like that. And how, get it. how far into it were you when you found that out? Oh... Let's see. I mean, we, we established the company loosely in 2012, and we decided not to go down that path in late 2015. We realized that it was really just going to be prohibitive. And what we had on our hands, though, were the concentrates that we'd been making, which are essentially simple syrups. They're a little stronger than simple syrups for uh, preservative reasons. But we had some really beautiful products that bartenders loved, that the soda stream people love to use to mix uh, with their home carbonated system so they can make it as sweet or as not sweet as they want. And w the product is still coming into itself. We're in 2017 going to be working with uh, a local marketing firm to sort of focus our brand, focus our efforts, find the right channels to be in, and, and 2.0 our product so that it is really on point. You know, the... The shelf at the grocery store where we live in the mixer's aisle has a couple competitors on it right now, but nobody is innovating hard. There are a lot of people using good ingredients. There are a lot of people listening to the market and giving the market what it seems to be asking for. Um, but in terms of like ingredient innovation, there are paths we can go down that will differentiate, uh, differentiate us in, an, in a massive way that I'm really excited to be taking um, in 2017. We're gonna be working with um, a really wonderful provider of natural alternative sweeteners right here in town who we met because people talk to each other. And we're learning how to use his products even better all the time. The more, um, um, I don't know what's the word for people who don't eat cane sugar. And it's not any one particular diet, but the more people we talk with who are passionate about um, low glycemic products, the more we learn about how to use these 
erythritols, xylitols, agaves, uh, stevia, and these sorts of blends um, to taste good and deliver del- genuinely delicious, uncompromised feeling products. So that is um, you know, refining our, our product and our brand in 2017 is, is what we're doing now. We'll be taking on capital. We'll be growing into uh, into more states. We'll be grow- hopefully doing uh, coastal and southern production by the end of 2017. That's fantastic. Thank so you. I don't know, how do you juggle your, how much time is your is your comic world taking? Hmm. Um, and then how much time is this and what do you have left over to paint? <laughs> That's a great question. The, the, the syrups, Portland syrups is my nine to five, more or less. I'm, I'm answering emails and talking to Dan throughout the evening, most nights. Uh, here and there just to take care of odds and ends from the day or fielding an interesting thing that came in after hours. My, my comic is it's oversized. It's, it posts on Fridays. And so I'll gather the ideas throughout the week. Well, I'm out on deliveries while I'm driving, you know, you, you write and you drive a lot. So you know that when you're driving, your mind sort of can go to neat places and you, and your ideas kind of come to you more naturally in that environment. So when shower, out, shower too. Are you a shower as, guy? Try to be as clean as possible. <laughs> Maybe I haven't been taking enough showers lately. <laughs> mm. Improve your output if you're a little, little fresher. I do. I come up. Usually, it's like the business. Not so much the write. The writing things you're right when you're driving. Yeah. Or those kind of things. I'm not writing as much lately, um, at all. But, uh, but the business things in the shower. For some reason, I don't know what that is. I agree. You know, even this morning in the shower, I had an idea of how to edit this coupon that we're offering to new seasoned employees and structure it in a better way. So, yeah, it's just that sort of abstract time when you're only using like 1% of your brain, so the rest of it's kind of wandering around because you know how to wash your armpits and scrub your hair and shave. You don't have to focus on it. So your your disengaged brain is free to, free to wander around and free associate and give you the stuff that has been below the surface and glue it together a little better. So... Comics Friday nights uh, are Thursday nights, and I've usually, hopefully, been putting scraps together throughout the week. I'm usually posting it at like four, three or four in the morning, Friday morning. Just, I hate it. I, I need to do a better job at that. I'm so tired by the end of the week. Uh, during the week, the first couple of days of the week, are m- my treat to myself is to get home from work, you know, lay on my back for half an hour and play like word games and and read my social media stuff, and then go upstairs to the studio, find. Um, find a, a playlist or something that I'm into that night and then just disappear for, you know, four hours. That, that's an ideal, like, uh, Monday through Wednesday night. And uh, lately I've been getting up into the studio with my daughter, who I have on the weekends, and we've been producing art together, which is the most gratifying, wonderful thing that I think as, as an artist parent, to be working in tandem up there while she creates too, to me that's like, those will be wonderful memories for her. And they're wonderful memories for me now too. So that's... Um, so the art is the treat to myself. It's the time when I can turn my brain off, push the pencil around. You know, first rule is there are no mistakes in the studio. Canvases are cheap. Just move, move, wait. If you're not feeling something, put it away for a little bit. Come back to it. Finish it later. And um, just enjoy watching technique evolve. Enjoy watching yourself grow and produce. It's, it's, that's what I love uh, about my life is, is producing the artwork. I absolutely love this business too in the sense that it's a wonderful challenge. I mean, entrepreneurialism and running a small business and figuring out how to market it and refine the product and run around town and get it where it needs to be and do events and stuff is, is a wonderful intellectual challenge. And I think at the end of the day, it's it's also really central to, to, to my journey. I, um, 
You, you've probably heard of the, the, the local um, marketing guru, David Howitt, from the Merriweather Group. Mm-hmm. He spoke at FoodWorks a couple of years ago when I was doing the, um, the Mercury gig. FoodWorks is a big day-long conference uh, with speakers from all over. And he represents the Merriweather Group, which is, if I, I won't summarize it perfectly, but they help brand and grow businesses. I'm, I hope they call in and correct me on that. But he, he is a, he's an Oregon success story. He founded Oregon Chai with his wife, and he knows a thing or two about how to polish up, grow, and sell brands. And he goes on stage and he talks about, you know, the, the, the hero's journey or the classic archetype beneath so many stories like the Odyssey. And, you know, I'm, that made me think, okay, well, what is my journey? Uh, what am I learning? And what's actually going on with me? And so this product is an, our, our mixing product is a natural offshoot of it. It's funny that it is, it has two lives now. It's like a, a fantastic cocktail ingredient and it's a non-alcoholic drink, but it just sells better that way. I'm not going to say no to that, you know. At the end of the day, people are, their their eyes are popping because of the amazing flavors that we can coax out of whole all-natural ingredients that we combine in innovative ways. Um, had you ever had any experience like this before with a brand or even not necessarily as an entrepreneur, but as an employee or? Yes. Uh, when I was uh, right out of college, I graduated in 97 in Silicon Valley. And so you couldn't swing a dead cat without getting some sort of internet startup job. And I worked for a series of startups. Some lived longer than others, always in the capacity of a creative director, brand director. Sort. Uh, I was in my 20s. I wasn't really, yeah, I was fairly new at it. But my position was always crafting brand identity. And so I'd done that in technology for a long time. And prior to really going earnestly into Portland Syrups, I spent a solid year as the um, senior designer for a local firm called Pop Art, which does a lot of, um, or at the time did a lot of um, digital marketing services. So I was prototyping online services and marketing for Freightliner and DTNA. And um, we had Yogi T in the roster and um, a couple other clients. But so I got a good solid refresher in 2013, 2014. Uh, to get my chops back and learn all the new lingo and everything, because I'd been working as a as a food critic, you know, for for a couple of years and and kind of lost my edge, but came roaring back, and that has hugely benefited our efforts uh, in the company. We have a really nice website. I knew how to build the shop. I uh, can use social media channels. Um, and that, but that's not some that doesn't cover you on some of the brass tacks of the business, like getting shelf space at new seasons and okay, and, so. and, and I notice you've got you're in quite a few places now. That takes that takes some know how and contacts, of course. I love being out and talking to people and showing them the product, and that that is the first thing. You know, if it wasn't my product, I would be hesitant and shy to go in and say like, "Hey, these are Bob's," you know, Bob's bamboo frisbees can you carry them in your store because i wouldn't care that much about the product but i love the product i'm not embarrassed about it i want people to have it i want them to know how great it is and how much fun they can have with it and what what better experiences they can have with it so i'll walk into absolutely any store and say you know you got to try this out pop it open taste it with me and you know the confidence that you come in with is what sells it you know that in addition to it's a good looking product but i um I love to walk into little markets or big markets and um, let them know that this needs to be on their shelves. I, I was cold calling liquor stores in Gresham uh, last week, you know, and talked them into it. They're, they're like, well, my customers don't really make fancy cocktails. And I said, put the ginger on yourself, get it for a try. And they try it and they're like, oh, this is amazing. 
and then they want to sell to their customers. It's infectious. But where it all started, and I'm glad you bring up New Seasons, getting shelf space at New Seasons has been the biggest coup in our, in our business um, life because they have this pro- program called Local Finds where they will bring in small local vendors who are, you know, if, who've got some of their ducks in a row. you got your UPC, you prove that you can support um, the volume that they're doing. That is, they put you in like four stores and we put two flavors in each store. And uh, they, you know, we, we got a tip from another person who was brewing at the or cooking at the commissary kitchen we were using to produce. She said, "You've got to demo the hell out of this thing. You've got to be in stores every day, and um, because no one knows who you are, what you're doing, even if the bottle's pretty and it makes sense that you have a ginger beer syrup, people have to taste it." And so, we, um, I have spent, you know a year and a half standing around in new season stores with my baseball cap and my apron, pouring little sample cups for people for three hours at a stretch and evangelizing. And we can absolutely trace uh, orders and reorders and volume increases to stores where we demo most aggressively. You know, it is, it's just really simple. People have to taste the product. Then they get a, then they get a passion for it. We find that new seasons employees actually are huge um, consumers of the product because you know, they're able to get it for a discount and they're they're very aware of new products in their stores that sound exciting to them and for the most part they've tried it during demos and so we do really well among their crowd and we offer them you know special discounts and things like that because new seasons has been the single biggest factor in our growth over the last year we've gone from four stores to 16 we're in Washington um, and from there, we, we actually got into Whole Foods, which is a, it's a very big hurdle to get into Whole Foods. We had to reformulate to remove any preservatives that we were using. So, yeah, I'm so grateful to that. That store, and it's got still, even though it's growing so well, it's still got a really good local personality and support for local vendors. Um, yeah, getting into Whole Foods was definitely a challenge. It's very rigorous, very stringent standards to get into there. Uh, but we're in, I think, six Whole Foods around here, a couple up in northern Washington as well. And do they automatically bring you to other markets? Do they slowly permeate out to other markets? And Slowly, and I don't know what the internal system is for getting us in the stores, but you know, we sold to Pearl and Fremont and Hollywood, and um, then somebody from like, Bellevue, Washington, wrote us and placed an order because we were in the system and they could order us. So we had to figure out, well, gee, how are, we, how are we going to ship all this stuff up there and make any money? Because we're not with a distributor yet. We're working on growing ourselves with a local distributor now uh, who supplies uh, bars and restaurants with uh, juices and mixers and serves and things. So distribution is one of the next steps you get to talk about after you prove that you can support a dozen stores and the, you know, the 40-odd little boutiques that we're in. One of the places that of course moves a ton of product for us is the house spirits tasting room and also their kiosk at the airport their kiosk at the airport does killer business for us it's, it's after security people can buy our 16 ounce bottle put it in their bag and have an awesome souvenir to take home that it, it sounds fun it's a cocktail thing it makes a great gift you know we're doing really well at christmas time there particularly but people who go into tasting rooms um tend to pick this product up along with whatever liquor they're buying Hey, Chris, right now would be a great opportunity for us to stop for a moment and just talk nicely about Ringside Steakhouse. What other way is there to talk about them? Well, it's really true. Every time I talk about Ringside with the folks here at Kink, when I'm telling them where they should go eat, oftentimes it's like, well, what do you want? Oh, you want a steakhouse? You got to go to Ringside. And then it always leads right into the best onion rings on the planet. 
Yeah, well, there's that, but there's a lot. I just had the uh, rib steak for two, bone in. Oh. Last time I was there a couple yeah. well, a week ago or so ago. That that was incredible. Mm-hmm. Let's not forget that we had Becky McGrath of the chef from Burgerville here. Yeah. Who, when we asked her what her favorite burger was on the planet, she said it was at ringside. ringside. So that's right. Um, so there's that, but that that bone in rib steak for two is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, their service at ringside is second to none. And, of course, they have some really special Sunday and Monday nights. Sunday night, they have a three-course meal. Yeah, Chris, that three-course supper special is what they call it. $44 before 6 or $54 after 6. It's pretty great. We've done, we've done that before together. Right. And then I think both of us upgraded to the lobster mashed potatoes. Okay, you got to do that upgrade. Phenomenal fee. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. And then, of course, Monday nights is prime rib night. Yep. So if you like the prime rib, it's a great deal at ringside. And it's a, you know, it's a good opportunity to get in there, too. Yep. Uh, right now, they've got a great deal going on with gift cards. Through the end of the year, when you buy $300 worth of gift cards, they're going to give you a $50 bonus card just for you. Or if you buy 500 worth of gift cards... Get a one hundred dollar bonus card just for you. Yeah, you don't have to use it for you either. You can you can actually make that a gift. There you go. So just get double the value, or more, not double, but extra value for your dollar. Absolutely. So here's what you do: you go to ringsidesteakhouse.com, set up reservations, maybe for this weekend, and check it out. So you're not selling bottles of soda any longer. Um, well, we never sold a carbonated beverage. We would keg um, and carbonate kegs for restaurants or special events. And we looked into kegging for restaurants. But we learned that nobody who has a tap line is going to swap out a beer keg for something non-alcoholic. It's a very rare bird. And it's very hard to get in. Kenny and Zooks is the only place that sticks with us. Because Ken, who is a great, wonderful guy and a friend of mine, loves root beer and so we keep it root beer on draft for him and it's kind of like this grandfathered in thing that we don't do for anybody else but you can go to Kenny and Zooks and get uh, the most beautiful pastrami sandwich in town and and get a draft sarsaparilla root beer that's ours and just have uh, from the ground up local gourmet experience that'll blow your mind oh that's fantastic now yeah. I don't feel as bad because I was as we were talking about doing this I thought you know I ha- and I like soda mm-hmm. I haven't had your product yet and it's because i don't necessarily find a bottle of soda in the store yeah it's on the mixer's aisle i've got some out in the car if you want to come out with me when we're done i'll give you i i'm completely remiss in my duties as a guest i haven't brought you a sample of it i'm sorry (laughs) well you can always come back and do that too um (laughs) but i appreciate that um sometime or let's get together yeah, we haven't done that. You and I used to grab a bite here and there yeah you were the one who introduced me to lardo when it was a cart at 43rd and belmont you know and uh, it was the little blue house Mm-hmm. And now he's he he had like three or four or five locations if you count Grassa and other things that he's doing. To me, that Rick's story with Lardo and Grassa is one of the most beautiful things about Portland. You know, we've got these laws and these price structures that make it make starting a cart accessible. And from the carts, you have this huge population, this petri dish. The best ones get escape velocity and go brick and mortar. You know, I think that I think that's I don't know if that's every cart owner's goal. But it is definitely cap- a possibility here in town. I mean, who are, who are some other escape velocity like Nongs? Nongs, um, Lardo. Um, You're putting me on the spot here now. I know, I know there a, are a lot of them, and um, but and a lot lately have opened up. There's the uh, Italian, the, the pasta place that yeah, opened up. It was on 28th at, uh, at like Stark, and um, yeah, there was one on Division too. 
I believe. Yeah, and he opened up on Clinton. Right. I can't believe the name escaped. So do you know. you, Starts with a B. To go back to something we're familiar with, did you know that Rick Roscoe. bought back his cart and it's it's on the lot at Hawthorne now? So that's where he does <laughs> that's where he does his events out of. That's great. Yeah, I saw that there. Uh, the sugar cube started there. Remember Cure? Yeah. Like her, she had the the sugar cube cart and she went brick and mortar in Alberta. Best baked goods in the city hands down sweet and savory she has such a natural touch for that she got out of the business because you know it's it's a shit ton of work and even though she was brilliant at it i think her her entrepreneurial aspirations have taken her in a new direction that i'll i'll let her talk about but i'm very excited to see what she's doing now too we we've continued to talk after i left the critic job because i was so impressed with her product and her business savvy that's a that's a great question in all your years as a critic, who impressed you the most? You talked about Lardo and, and the business model. And I know the sandwiches were great. We enjoyed uh, Porchetta, I think, the first Porchetta, time. Porchetta. I think there was a Cuban in the mix, a Cubano. Mm-hmm. Um, people that really impress me are, are people you wouldn't necessarily find in a room together. Um, one person who always hates when, I, when I, anybody mentions her, but I always have to give some respect to, is Janice at Tanuki. Because Janice, to me is Portland DNA. She's absolutely her own uh, entity. She, the, the entire show is driven by her vision and her personality, her, her strength of technique and her beliefs and her training. Uh, she trained with Charlie Trotter, and here she is running, you know, a, a, a Korean-Japanese dive bar with, like, the best drinking food in the world. And, um, and often with very short-staffed, too. And, yeah, yeah. And she, plus she's the bouncer. She's, on top of it. She's the bouncer and, and, <laughs> and chief personality. Um, but, you know, you, you go to Tanuki and you know you're not in a place that would ever have sold on a business plan, you know, who would never have passed <laughs> muster at, like, chef's table because it, it's, a, it's just a big middle finger of a restaurant, and I love that. It's genuine. It's authentic. And uh, it's, a, it's a rare gem in this city, in a, play, in a city where you really have to bust ass to, to survive and keep your doors open. She manages to do it. And she's got a huge cult following. So a lot of respect for her. Um, and, I, I ha- and I have too. She's been on the show. Oh, has she? As a matter of fact, that took a little while. When I, I first asked her, there was a... I bet. She's not interested. And somehow uh, we had a... Actually, she came and did two shows. I've got to listen to that. We had a kind of an overlap with, um, with her and, and Brian at a Pizza Shoals. Okay. They had heard they were both coming in the same day and they wanted to... Overlap. So listen, look in the archives for those. I don't know the numbers offhand, but they were earlier this year. Mm-hmm. This is great. When I go up to the studio now to do art, I can tune this in and listen to all these all these uh, back catalog. That's exciting. I, I've, I've given up on podcasts. After, well, good. We'd serial. like to get you back. Actually, half of our listens are back into the archives. Yeah. Which is interesting. Right. Yeah. The things you learn, you know, about soda and we're learning about podcasting along the way. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm excited to go back and check out your archive. Uh, other people that I admire in town... Um, I really, uh, am impressed with what, uh, Nat West has done with Reverend Nat's hard cider. You know, when, um, you know, he lives up in my neighborhood, he's the same story, he used to do it out of his house, huge passion for it. He opened up his, uh, cidery and tasting room on like second, uh, just off Broadway, like at Schuyler in Northeast. And, um, he, he's just grown that business like crazy. He's a super hard worker. He's always on the road. He's got a clear vision for his product. He makes dry and off-dry ciders, and he experiments a ton with different and interesting ingredients. He makes tapaches and peris and, and things like that. Turns out fantastic product. Um, 
I love that he let us, he, um, he actually hosted us when we were first starting out. We had some kettles, which are another neat story. And we, I couldn't put them in my house. I didn't have, you know, 220 line, three phase power. So he's like, okay, you can tuck them over in the corner and brew a couple times a week if I, when I have space. And so that was super helpful for us. We learned a lot of uh, food science from him. And just through osmosis and observation, we learned a lot about how to, how to market yourself, how to stay busy, how to focus on what you care about. Uh, so I have a tremendous amount of respect for him. Um, one person who was absolutely beneficial to us in a huge way, who's no longer with us, was Stephen Smith, the tea maker. He, um, my girlfriend at the time when I was starting this business, was uh, had worked for him in high school, like in the in the early '90s, like at the stash tea cart. And she wrote to his daughter, who was a, call, a high school friend of hers, and said, "Hey, do you think my boyfriend could bring some of his beverages by your dad so he could check them out?" And I had never really heard of Stephen Smith. I'd seen his boxes at the store. I did no idea what I was who I was dealing with or who I was talking to. And so he agreed, and we went to his um, his his place up uh, at Northwest Fourteenth and uh, Raleigh or Quimby or wherever it is up where Olympia Provisions used to be, or is now. And um, we sat in his tasting room, and I had a cooler full of like my three syrups at the time, and he 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 tasted them. He he, I could I could tell that he was being polite. You know, this is a person with a a palate that has traveled the world and been educated in in so many countries for you know decades you know he, these were my first drafts he, he was super helpful and um showed me how to use a refractometer to gauge my sweetness levels because if you aren't consistently sweet you don't have a product um we talked about uh, about um what's the word um, contrasting flavors together we talked about how to source the best ingredients and um at the end of the day he agreed to loan us two 10 gallon kettles to um plug in over at nats and brew our stuff with they were just sitting disused for a little bit because they were an experimental purchase of his. So we got a U-Haul and brought him over there and started learning how to brew bigger batches of stuff. And um, That yeah. sounds like invaluable. That, it was, that you would pay someone a lot to consult with you to give you that information. And here he was just offering it. If we were to hire a brewer, a contract brewer to formulate for us, we'd pay five figures for recipes. Stephen Smith, because of who he is and because of where he's from was just giving, you know. He wanted to talk about how to source the best sassafras or the two different major varieties of cinnamon that we could consider using or where to find the best mint in Oregon because, I mean, he knows we're not out to put him out of business, so it's a completely different category. He made an hour and a half for me and a, a little bit of time through correspondence after that, um, which was phenomenal. And yeah, uh, hugely valuable. And as I came to learn the posi position he occupied in the world that he had created, um, the fact that he gave me that much of himself so early on makes me to this day feel better about what I make and have more confidence in um, my product's um, potential. Because, you know, I don't think he would have wasted his time, you know. No, and I'm sure that gives you the. Um that I was going to say the motivation, but just inherently gives you the desire to help others when, you know, someday when, Absolutely. Uh, you know, when you've been in the business for a while and you have, I'm sure you have a lot to offer now, but someday you can have more to offer somebody getting into something that has nothing to do with your business or something that's related. And I think about that all the time and I absolutely look forward to it. And I have, and I have looked forward to it since I got this business up and running. I thought, you know, when I'm a little more 
a little more gray and I've got something to say. I absolutely look forward to mentoring people who, who seem earnest and sincere about developing what they want to develop. We, um, we actually, okay, so Portland Syrups is our product, our syrups, and we are also a co-packer. We co-pack and keg for some people around town, just relationships we've made. Um, and we, um, we consult, and now we consult on flavor development. Uh, Jasper from Aviary is opening a new noodle and bun place in the old mm-hmm. Lardo space on Williams. Right. And he said, I want um, some, some, some custom soda flavors. So we're developing those for him right now. Uh, we've done that for a, a number of people around town. And the most fascinating branch of this business to me right now um, is the work that we do with the cannabis industry because we, we, are, we have profiled and built and prototyped dozens of cannabis-based drinks flavor-wise. And coming to learn the science and the, the parameters uh, of that industry and that market and that consumer, um, what, what, I, what I liken it to is I was in Silicon Valley in the mid-90s when everybody became a robber baron. I, I only got a tiny taste of that. That's, I'm seeing that happen again with the cannabis industry here in the city, in the state, and I am avowed not to miss that boat this time. So I am, I'm, every day I go to a couple dispensaries. I'm, it's my goal to visit, you know, all of the 200 or so that are within city limits. You know, I'm about, I'm about a quarter of the way there. Um, go in, uh, test, not, not overtly test, but test the bud tender's knowledge, see if they know how to explain what they're selling, see if they can tell me the difference between like, um, you know, this strain and that strain in a way that's compelling to me as a consumer look at the product formats that are on the shelf uh, to see what's missing and what's being emphasized and what's not making it. Um, and, you know, deep diving into things like the nature of the plant itself, like being able to to uh, speak uh, to lay people about things like terpenes, which are the components of the, uh, what I call the, the cannabis axis. Those are the chemicals that determine the, the sort of high you'll get. You know, THC will give you your head high, your mm-hmm. base level high. Your CBD will give you your body high, you know, your muscle relaxing type thing. And the terpenes are what determine the, more of the mood that you'll be in. Because um, THC is THC. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a molecule. Um, but you know, and I don't know, and I don't need to know right now, if, if you ever use this stuff, you can have vastly different experiences depending on which plant you put in your consumption device or, or how you ingest it. You know, I'm finding. Uh, I'm learning that, and yeah. it's fascinating because for years we were just standing on street corners, taking right. what we whatever. I, yeah. No one knew Pot, the difference. You know, yeah, no one knew the difference, and now it's a really interesting world out there if you take it seriously and mm-hmm. it, and you don't look. I mean, I love the fact that it's no longer Cheech and Chong, that it's right. treated like wine more uh, now than than it was, and I'm finding that whole experience. I'm, I'd love to. Uh, chat with you long more about absolutely that end of that business because it's fascinating that you've gone that deep into it, it or deeply it, into it. And um, yeah, there, uh, what struck me is the retail experience <laughs> to be able to walk in and have an, a conversation with someone yeah. and discuss all the ins and outs. And I'd like this. And I, it's it's I I went into my first dispensary and I was a little intimidated. I was like, oh, it's going to be a bunch of thugs. (laughs) Of course they're not. You know, they're business people. And they're people who are genuinely enthusiastic about the product and its benefits, uh, by and large. You know, here and there you get someone who's just busy or whatever and doesn't want to talk to you. But I went into a shop called Shango. It's up um, up by the airport, on Airport Way, like 110th or 20th or so. 
<clears throat> and um, it's it's one of a franchise that's I don't know what Tommy Chung's relationship is, but he he endorses it. There are two that are owned outright by the group, and I think three or more have been franchised off. There's one in Vegas, but I, to me, that's one of the more successful brands I've seen in terms of a dispensary. And the the founder was actually there, this guy named Shane, and we rapped for like ten minutes about um, distillate and rosin and terpene maintenance on extraction methods and some of his products that he had developed. And he was whenever you get guys who are big heads, he's been in the industry 30 years, he tells me, really knows everything. Um, whenever they know that you know a little lingo, they love to start talking. It's like guys who work on cars or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. And that, to me, I'm seeing the same cross-pollination uh, potential there that I, I see in my own business or in the food world in general. Uh, I think people in in the cannabis world tend to historically have be a little more closed off and careful about what they say they because be. because it's where they come from is right. illegal. They had the to black be, market. And but, even now, as they're you know, it's a, it's uncharted territory. So there is less stable now than it was a couple of weeks ago. Yes, yes, yeah. Which, which is, you know, everyone that I respect in the industry says no one's going to get shut down or raided or thrown in jail in Oregon. Um, it's just that we, we feel that there will be a, a, a slowing of progress. I, I, don't, I don't believe that we'll see a regression. Uh, the thing that's causing regression is Oregon's own issue with the certifications they're requiring products to have now, not having enough labs and bottlenecking so that the recreational market has like a, a tenth of the product it had available to it a little while ago, uh, two months ago even. Uh, and we're starting to see dispensaries close, which I, I never thought I'd see. You know, this is Oregon, right? Well, they opened really quickly. From a layperson standpoint, it just went from nothing to a lot. Yeah. Almost every street corner, it seemed to me. Every so. vacant space, people with huge rolls of cash were coming in and saying, I'll take it. Right. They, they do the tenant improvements. They do, um, you know, they'd build the place out and they'd make money, you know. We're in an exciting Wild West time with that industry right now. They can't even bank yet, you know. Uh, they're cash only. Um, the next five years are going to be awesome to be a part of. Especially when California comes on board and it becomes the whole West Coast. Yeah. Uh, I mean, our uh, product can't cross state lines, and it probably won't be able to for the foreseeable future, but we can consult across state lines. I can go down there to California and say, like, this is how you build this better product. This is how you get in a bottle. Um, so do you have that? Are you on your way to having that product in dispensaries now? We are not developing that in our company, in our with our facilities. At, you know, we, we wouldn't do that, and we're not allowed to do that legally. So we're actually in 2017 taking on some money and branching out under a, a different brand in a, in a different location to produce uh, cannabis products. And I am not sure if it's, and I won't say yet actually what the, what the format I want it to be in is, but I am super excited to be entering this market armed with everything that I've learned about the distillates and the flowers and the, the, the flavorings that, that mask or complement or counterpoint. Um, there are some good cannabis beverages on the market right now. There's a very, the best one I believe is called Legal. It's made in Washington. And... Um, Really well made. And uh, what does it do? What is, what's the effect? It's a 15 milligram. So you're going to, if you're, if you're a very casual user, it's, it's going to set you up for four or five, six hours. Um, 
they have the you know the indica, the sativa, and the hybrid flavors. I believe is the the way that they've divided up their product line. The sativas are going to be your uppers, the indicas are going to be your downers, and the hybrids probably going to be more of an upper. And um, that that that's just the way they've decided to approach the uh, the market. Three simple choices. I mean, but I, that'll evolve. That'll change as as it becomes a little more complicated, and it. Yeah, uh, or, or as it becomes less complicated, I guess to hurdle all the bureaucracy as well. What what what's what I like about it is it's it's essentially a functional beverage, like a caffeine fortified drink, like Red Bull, or like a vitamin water type drink. You drink it for an effect. It's a functional beverage. It is uh, it is right out of the petri dish. We're going to see these products being made with better forms of of cannabis. Um, that can deliver more consistent effects, that can enter the bloodstream more quickly, that can um, taste better. So I, you know, right now where we're at with cannabis is where computers were at in like the late 70s when you had to buy all the pieces and screw them to plywood and, you know, go to a geek club once a week to figure out how to troubleshoot all the things that went wrong, you know? Like to get high right now, it, 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 it's, it's, a, it's a crazy unpredictable, you know, word of mouth. There's, I don't believe there's any great central understanding of like how to even get started. The industry says, start with five milligrams. You know, it's, you're not going to get in any trouble. Um, don't plan to be anywhere for a while. I, I remember the first time I was in Amsterdam and, you know, the, the natural shops over there, which are yeah. basically, they sell mushrooms. Okay. And I was struck just as, you know, a lot of things that were in Amsterdam that are now in Portland, but yeah. this was 15 years ago. I was struck by the description of who should be with you, how many people, and, and what their knowledge level should be to be with you to take this particular mushroom and exactly how long the effect was going to be, how much you should take. And, you know, it went right down to this is for the novice to you better know, you better have like ambulances on standby. <laughs> Practically, yeah. you know. but I was just very interesting to see, and it, and it explained to me. I hope we don't get here. Well, it's a different product, but it explained to me why I was on the the mass transit in Amsterdam and seeing people just standing there looking into space. That's what that was. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I don't think we're going to get there. I think the beautiful thing is now you can uh, with the product and what's available. You can you can regulate that yourself as to how what you want. I, you can tailor your experience, which is something you could never do in college when a, a friend had a bong and you didn't know what was in it and you didn't know how much to pull off of it. And for the most part, you know your experiences were you had no idea what was going to happen to you. And and since you were probably smoking with an experienced smoker your first time, you'd do too much. You'd have a lousy time, and you'd have your tequila story. Oh, I'll never drink tequila again. I threw up all week. You know, you'll um you'll now you can say, like, with some certainty, I'm taking a five milligram dose in this candy. It's going to take an hour, and I know how it's going to feel. And it's not going to be a big, fast onset that has me grabbing for the floor. It's going to sit on smoothly. I, um, I am finding the sweet spot now. I want to solve the problem of uh, uptake time. You know, if you eat something, it has to be processed through your liver. It's going to take half an hour to an hour to feel the effects. Whereas, you know, if you smoke it, it goes into the bloodstream through your lungs immediately. And you, you know where you're at right away. There's no lag time. So I have found um, great success uh, with uh, glycerin extracts in terms of faster uptake time, especially if you hold them in your mouth longer so you're absorbing them sublingually. 
And there are some really, really delicious products on the market right now. The cannabis plant is a flavor powerhouse. And the different strains are obviously like, like wine. Like you said, they're terroir, they're original uh, land race or, or hybrid hybridization is determined that some will be orangey, some will be sour, you know, some will be uh, skunky. And um, we're just getting to learn these vocabularies. And I am um, using cold extracted cannabis that still has most of its flavor intact is a wonderful opportunity to develop with. I um, I really love some of the products I'm seeing and especially the way they taste in beverages. And um, I just, I love being able to provide a form of cannabis intake that's not fire. It's not barbaric. It's not the way we used to use this stuff. Um, and I think you'll see a luxury market for, for these goods and a, and a higher and middle market for these goods very soon. We're already seeing ads in like, uh, I don't know if it was Portland Monthly, but some local magazine ran an ad for uh, a dispensary that did terpene consulting, which basically meant they know uh, which strains are going to make you feel which way, and they'll sit down and talk with you for $150, which is something you which could, they'll do anyway. Which you know most I mean? shops will do <laughs> yeah. happily do anyway, and it's hard to get away from them. They want to talk so much. Right. And you can go to leafly.com, which is a, the Wikipedia of, of, of cannabis, and, and do your research there too. But um, yeah. The, and the the luxury market maybe doesn't want to go into some dispensary at a at a, at Sandy and 110th. You know they want to be over here on the west side. Well, I'm curious to have you back in at some period of time. I was going to say a year, but even less because I've I've been curious about that, and we've wanted to have a guest on to talk about it. And Good. just as um, uh, back in 2012 when we met, yeah, I couldn't have envisioned either of us sitting here in this right. studio right now right um having this discussion um you know, on a podcast i couldn't i didn't even imagine we were going to have it when you walked in the door i didn't know you were working on that i just want to make sure i i mention like the reason this part of the journey this, this cannabis part of the journey is so exciting to me is because if you're not a drinker how are you going to have fun you know the gym is only so much fun hiking is only so much fun i wanted something i could do like to relax, to get loose, to enjoy parties more. I just had this conversation with a friend of mine who's having, has got a little bit of a drinking problem. Yeah. Yesterday. Yeah. This is where you need to be looking. This this product I will absolutely evangelize is not just an alternative, but an absolute superior. Mm-hmm. It lasts longer, it's cheaper, it's way easier on your body. Um, the overall experience is far more all-encompassing. And um, yeah, there's just, and it's, it's it's given me back a lot of fun and I will say creative potential. Like I can create on my own sober just fine, but I love the opportunity that I have now with this. Um, do you have a name for the for that product or that? Not that yet. Part of we the are we are we are taking on capital and in part of the package in exchange for equity, we're getting a lot of time with one of the the like top three Portland marketing agencies. I can't say their name yet, but uh, it's a blue chip agency. You'd know it if I said it. And they're giving us a ton of time to rebrand and focus and work on that line as well. We're very excited about the next couple of years. We're teaming up with some some powerhouse veterans from the natural foods industries and um, from from the cannabis industries. So, like like real long term veterans. I think it's fascinating and it's a wonderful Portland story. That, as I said, 
four years ago when we first met, we couldn't have envisioned that you'd be doing this. You, right. you probably didn't yourself. No, I, I didn't, didn't even like cannabis four years ago. Well, not only that, but soda. I mean, that yeah. that too, the, the how they come about and how you're able to grow it in a city like this. Yeah. Um, I think it's fantastic. So I appreciate your coming, Chris. Thank and, you very uh, much. Let's get out and... Let's get out and cavort a little bit. Absolutely, and I'd love to be back on the show. Great. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com.